excited to go into the Word of God with you today in the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles and want to turn there, we're in John chapter 3. Do this in first service, but you know, when I was a doctor, I, I sometimes took care of people who had acute strokes. And I don't know if you've ever seen someone with an acute stroke. One side of their body, a lot of times, gets paralyzed, and they'll over time, it's like they have their hand and it gets to twist and it starts to not be able to open. And it's really hard. You can't. It's almost like they're grasping something. And so, what I want to do, and what physical therapy and different things to try and help them is you go and you try and open it up, right? You work on opening that up and opening it up so that they'll have an open hand. And it usually doesn't work very well because if you have, it's called an upper motor neuron sign, you've had trouble, so you go back to it. But what I want so badly is to get it right, to restore stuff that's not uh, working right in the body. We work at it. We work at it with our whole lives. You know, something's not working right. I work at making it better. Which is why, so remarkably, when we started last week in John chapter 3, Jesus has this interaction with this Pharisee who's all about getting it right, the law, the Bible. And he tells them, you know what? It's not actually about you getting it right. It's about you being born again. So it's not about fixing your old life. It's about getting a new one. And that just blows the guy's mind away. I just don't get it, he said. I, I, I just see, and, and I, 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 a little there with him, tried to walk you through that. No, 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 I got to get my hand right. No, you actually need something totally different. Looking to Jesus gets you something radical. And it's a little hard to understand, and, and because many people say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian born again, but then we go right back to trying to fix our hands. And so, therefore, John continues to go to give us examples and understanding of what it means that you and I are in this Christian thing, that you and I are born again. It's radical. It's so radical, it's hard to really grasp. And so he takes, to me, the rest of John chapter 3 and tries to help us see an example, an understanding of what those realities look like. Because I can say I'm born again, but it doesn't really do anything to how I change my life or, or, or how I live my life or what it means to be a Christian. So I want to help us today from John to see. Because if you put your faith in Jesus, you're born again. What does it mean for your life? What are the realities there? And to do that, John, the gospel writer, brings an example in. I'll even say we ended on this verse last week, and you can go back and listen to that if you'd like to. But it says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I know I, I ended there last week, and I could just see some people going, you know, we need to get into the light with lots of good works so we can show that we're from God. Is that what he's talking about? What's going on? So this idea of coming into the light, to being seen what is true, that your works are from God, to show that, John brings in an example. And I'm going to show it to you with two parts. There's, there's this first part, which is rejoicing and decline. It's John the Baptist, by the way. <laughs> and we're going to see John the Baptist one more time. But, but I just, I love this picture because, <laughs> because she's smiling isn't that a great smile? And yet she's dying. She's almost done. 
That's not a lot, not too different than we are. Let's look. John chapter 3, picking up in verse 22. There we go. So it says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put into prison. Okay, so we close the scene with Jesus talking to Nicodemus, but we're kind of hanging on, wow, what does this mean, this new birth, and looking to Jesus and living? And then he brings up another scene, and the curtain comes up, and it's Jesus baptizing. It's really his disciples baptizing, we know from John 4. And John the Baptist baptizing. That's the situation, right? They're, they're referring to water baptism, plentiful waters at the spring. Remember, John was baptizing a baptism of repentance and telling people to, to say, wow, I'm not, I'm not doing well. My hand's not right. I need to make it straight. I need to do better. So now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Well, that's interesting. And I could just see it. You know, it doesn't tell us what the debate was. It just says, hey, they're arguing about how do you get pure? How do you get clean? Because baptism has this washing aspect, right? You're going in, you're saying, man, I'm ritually clean now because I've repented. I've gone into the waters. I've come and I've said, and, and John was doing that. And then Jesus' disciples, like, well, who's right and who's getting clean? And how are they doing it? Is it, is it, is it three dunks or is it a sprinkle or whatever? At least that's what I think they'd be saying. In actuality, John's setting us up, you know. Because you got to realize that word for purification, we've seen one time already, back up in chapter 2. Remember chapter 2? There's this miracle that happened where Jesus took these stone vessels that for water of purification, where you would ritually wash yourself. And what did he do with them? <laughs> Changed them into wine, something totally new and better. Purification is not what you think it is, you know. But here they are. They're arguing over who's pure. See, see, they're not looking to Jesus. They're not looking to new life. They're arguing again over purification and how you get clean. How you get your hand functioning again. So when they come to, to John and they say to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look. He's baptizing, and all are going to him. <laughs> this, this idea, this point that comes in, it doesn't start with like arguing over purification and then us understanding what purification is. It's like, no, 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 John, they're leaving you. A little bit of perhaps resentfulness or bitterness. I don't know, definitely exaggerating. John, look, everyone's leaving. Well, John's still baptizing. John the Baptist, he, he, he's there doing good. John the Baptist is always a good guy. I mean, camel hair and locusts and stuff, but he's saying the truth. Nothing negative is ever said of John the Baptist. And now people are leaving him. And what does this have to do with purification? And, and what's actually going on at all? Because John takes it in a totally different way. Super important for you and me. Don't, don't miss this. John answers, a person cannot receive even one thing 
unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Okay, what John the Baptist is going to do, this question about purification and everything to do with Jesus and who John is, who they are. What he says important, these three things, and then, then I want to, I want to help you actually put them together, because you're going to go, okay, well, I don't get it. At least it's easy not to. So here, right, first he says, right, it sounds like just a general statement of sovereignty. But, it, but it goes exactly with what we talked about in verse 21. Look, he who, what? He who's of the light brings his, he's of God brings his, his work into the light that it can be seen that everything's of God. And here's John saying, everything I'm doing is, is, is a gift of God. If I get it, it's from God. Anything that happens or doesn't happen in my life, God's done it. And the reason that these people are leaving me and going to Jesus is that God is giving them to Jesus. And all the people who come to Jesus love to make it clear that God gave whatever he gave just because of Jesus. That's a good thing, says John. You wonder why they're turning from me to Christ? God is doing this. He's giving them to his son. And it's going to say that in John 6, 37 and 44 and 65. It's going to be clearly seen that their coming has been carried out in the power of God. So this actual thing of saying, okay, I want to know what it looks like for somebody who has the new life. Someone's new, and he's saying, you know what? I'm so okay with whatever God does. Then there's verse 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Okay, so this is kind of the second idea. He gives you this image, right? He says, oh, you know what? The only thing about me is that I get to hear Jesus' voice. That actually made me happy. Because he's saying he's the friend of the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. Who's the bride? Well, the bride in the Old Testament is always Israel. In the New Testament, after the resurrection, the church is called the, the, the bride several times. Jesus, the bridegroom, like in Ephesians 5. So this idea of, of John is not, not that, oh, I'm so happy that I know the bride. I'm not so happy that the bride's there. No, I'm happy just to hear the voice of the bridegroom. To hear the voice of Jesus. That, that's kind of interesting. It's surprising that that's his joy. So, so again, one, one, one more statement. Let's go through the last one. And then he must increase, but I must decrease. So this kind of culmination, right? When Jesus becomes greater in the world and I become lesser in the world, my joy increases. But there's a special thing about this particular verse. He must increase, but I must decrease is something that most commentators call the divine must. John isn't saying, oh, you know what? I got to try and make Jesus bigger and try and make myself less. That's not this statement. This statement is, this is a God-divined thing. The plan of God is that he goes up and I go down. Must. God's must. I think I think this is kind of important for us. I think it's important to us as those who are born again and say this is my hope is in Jesus. That this this is the truth that John the Baptist is giving. 
If you're Jesus Christ, if you've seen the uplifted Son of God, you know that your only hope is in Him. You're entirely His. Life is about His glory. Your life is caught up in God's plan, not your own. You, you can't mess it up, but maybe you can miss the joy of that. Okay. So those three pieces, right? Right there. But And, and I, I guess what I say is, okay, well, I get that. And you probably read this passage quite a bit, even listening to me, talking to it now, fitting it back into how you think about what it means to be a Christian. I'm born again. Now I'm going to help um, um, Jesus get better. And, and then I'll, I'll go down and, and we'll be good Christians together. Don't. Don't think. Don't think this isn't so much deeper than we normally think. Because my normal thinking is along the lines of, I'm going to make Jesus exalted. As I do, who's looking at me? All my other Christian friends. And we together go up. I used to do this so much. I did this so much growing up. I'm running a cross-country race, and I'm running. I'm going, man, Jesus, I I just, I want you to be glorified as I do this. I want to do my very best. And and plus, if I can pass that guy, I'll get in third place. And and then I'll stand on the podium, and I'll proclaim your goodness. God, if you just let me advance to there. And so you get to the point and say, hey, God gave me this great victory. Say, look, 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 I'm exalting Jesus. He must increase, and I must increase with him. Because that's really how we think. How we really think is, well, I have these desires in my heart. I have these desires that I want to do. And, 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 I, and, I, will, and I, will, I will give the glory to Jesus as I do them. And it's almost like a payment for me to get the stuff I want. Lord, if you just let me succeed, you will get all the glory. Well, as soon as I've said that, that is absolutely not true. Because what is also true? I'll get a little of it. Look at you doing so much great things for Jesus. Uh, okay, you just ruined it all. Oh, look at you kind of, and so the motive of your heart is you go through so much. We say, we say, he must increase and I must decrease. That's a truth. But as I think I'm going to do it, then I think, no, what really I'm doing is I'm walking up a ladder with Jesus together, he and me, and I'm getting better and he's getting better and I'm going up and up together. And so there it is. It's not just for me. It's not just that. It's also how I see other people, right? Because I look at them, and whether I think it is or not, I kind of think a little bit of Alonzo, is, is, is when people are going down or when they're not together, it's the consequence of their actions. You do know that your sin will find you out. If you don't do the things that you should do, if you're, hey, take your kids. If your kids aren't, are doing bad things, bad things will happen to them. And when they do, it's not they must decrease and Jesus must increase. It's they deserve it. Then they need to turn around and do well. So when they do well, they can be um, accoladed, and then they both, Jesus and them together, can get some glory. That's not this thing that we're talking about in Christianity. It's something totally different. And so, and so, unfortunately, what we do is we mess up and we start to think, no, no, the new birth is me kind of starting to get my hands straight. I'm working on it and say, no, stop. This comes back to who's talking here and what's going on. John the Baptist is an example in two ways. Here's the first way. John the Baptist is an example of the best of the Old Testament prophets. 
So what he is is the one who says, this is the way. What's the way? Repent and follow the law. Repent. Because that's what his baptism, right? Come get baptized, he says. And you come into the water and you get baptized and you say, I'm so bad, I need to work harder to try harder. I, I know my hand isn't what it should be. And I will work at straightening it. And I will do my PT exercises. And I will now do the law. And, and that's the Old Testament. It's that the idea that God will be with you and bless you if you obey him. And God will curse you if you disobey him. And he's right. Where is he right? In the Old earth okay so i was tempted to paint the stage two colors today but i figured if i chose red and blue some of you guys would throw eggs at me (laughs) it's not but if you thought here that there's actually two things going on at the same time one is how the world works the earth works it works by loss it works by how things ought to be and it works by you you striving to do those things and it's right that it works that way It is right that if you work hard, you should get ahead. It is right that we should take care of each other and and follow the rules that God has set so society will work and things will work. It is right and good and true. And your kids should know it and you should know it and you should see. And and the difficulty is, is that's a realm that's divided. And then there's something that happened that we just saw in John 3 and it's called what? The new birth. That's something new. It's a new whole side of the stage. It's something different. It's what Jesus has done. And you just look at him and live. And there's this hole over here. And it doesn't work by you getting, it works by you getting born again. Not coming back then and doing the earthly things that would get you ahead. So John and his ministry is a minister of, dare I say, death. Because he's proclaiming rightly the law. In this world that says, hey, you need to improve, and he's right. And John says, hey, the, the, the plan of God is that I must decrease. Yeah, it is. You know what's going to happen in two weeks from when he speaks? John gets beheaded. His ministry's done. But he must increase. The only hope you have is Jesus. New birth. So there's that. John is this example of, of this thing going on. He says, yeah, I must decrease. And yeah, it's so amazing. Nothing I have but God. Because there's something happening here that's so amazing. And God has given us this amazing salvation that we just look at Jesus. Remember, John was the one who baptized Jesus. He said, behold the Lamb of God. He saw the heavens split. And he saw the, the dove come down. He saw this. But he didn't say, okay, because of that, I'm going to go follow Jesus. And now he's following Jesus around. He stayed over here in this realm doing the thing, pointing to Christ, saying, you can't do it, you can't do it, your hands do it, you're not going to, you need a new birth. There's that Jesus guy over there. You keep after trying to repent of your sin because sin is evil and you should repent. But on this side, there's the new birth. And I want to say that John isn't just an example of the law and of the best of the Old Testament prophets. He's also an example of someone who's been born again. And this is where he really touches us, not just theologically, but practically. Because if you say, yeah, I've been born again, it's not that you feel like you've been born again. It's not like you've got now some halo over your head. Oh, look, you've been born again. You've got the halo. It's like, no, I'm born again. How am I born again? By trusting Jesus. I look to the serpent and I live. I say, I have no hope in me, and here I am alive. 
What does it look like again? It looks like this. My knowing viscerally that all my hope is in him. Because that's what John is saying, right? I don't have anything that's not given to me. What a peace you and I have to know that Jesus takes care of us. What a solid ability to us to interact with anyone, to be to be absolutely standing on the solid rock, which is Jesus has forgiven me and cleansed me. Realize, right? That was the new birth. Is the by water, which is forgiveness, the cleansing of Christ, but by the Spirit, which seals you and uses you, scatters you wherever he wants. Now it's not about you getting better or people thinking well of you. It's about your trust that the Holy Spirit's actually using you and using the other person who also confesses Christ. Whoa! Totally different life not connected to improving my old one indeed this is what happens to you you realize this is what happens to you we could just wait here and if we waited long enough it would happen to at least one of us but if we waited for 20 years it would happen to a lot of us we'd be dead if i waited 50 almost all of us but there are some kids in the room so let's wait 100 And we'll all be dead. All of us. Are we improving? No. We're dying. Some of us faster than others. And in 300 years, nobody will remember your name. How can that be? That's terrible. They ought to know at least the best of us who like kept the law. Did No, the whole idea is that we're dying and our hope is in Christ. You know who's going to be known in 300 years? Jesus Christ forever. He is the one. Everyone knows him. Everyone will know his name. He is amazing. And everything that you do, that God chooses to do through you, you'll eventually say, no, it's just Christ who did it through me. I don't want you to know my name. I want you to know Jesus. That's fantastic. That's life. And that's the reality for those of us who are in Christ. It doesn't matter what people think of you. You're just thinking, man, I'm so amazed. Jesus has promised me that I'm his. My life is new. I live by promise. May he increase and I decrease. I want it. But I know for sure he must increase and I must decrease. Because that's the way it is. That's the only hope I have. I, I think you see that in a variety of ways. One is this way. In first second Corinthians in twelve first chapter twelve verse nine, Jesus says, My my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. So, so in the us going down, that's Jesus. It's not like my power is made perfect in weakness, and and maybe um, my power gets a little less as you get a little stronger, or maybe a more. No, it has nothing to do with you ever being strong. It's always about you being weak. It's about me giving up on the the ability of me climbing the ladder over here, confessing my only hope is in this serpent lifted up, receiving the body and blood of Jesus. Confessing my sin, not so I don't do it anymore. I still sin. I sin every day. It's so sad. I wish I didn't. I struggle against it. But I'll tell you what, it's covered. That's the new birth. I'm clean and forgiven. Okay, so it's not just this idea of increasing and decreasing. John gets this idea. He gets it set on what is this life in this earth. So now I'm on the earth 
Here I am, and, and it's almost like, again, like I'm straddling, and I got one foot over here where things are running by law, like our society and government, and things are going, and, and, and rightly so. I want laws to be apply, applied fairly. I want to keep the law and do it, but I know in my heart that I don't do it well enough to ever get in heaven. And over here, I'm, I'm in Christ, totally in Christ, a new creation, promised eternal life with Jesus. And I'm kind of sitting in both of them because I still live and I still breathe in this one. And, and yet by promise, I'm in this one. And, and, and how do I live in this dusty earth? Right? So John gets his eyes on the right thing. Let's look. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. So what he does is he makes that line again, right? He's saying, make sure you see it. If you're on earth... You're thinking earthly. What's thinking earthly? Following your, your self-orientation, you cannot get away from it. We would call it the flesh. In heaven, he's talking about Jesus. He's above all. It's interesting. In other places, again, I'll use um, Paul and Corinthians, but he says, the first man was from earth, that's Adam, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, as was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also those who are of heaven. And, and there it is, right? If you're over here, if you're in Adam, and, and no matter how well you try, or no matter how hard you work, before after you make a confession, your body, yourself, your flesh, that's not your flesh like your bones and stuff. That's your self-orientation. You're going down. Eventually you're gone and no one remembers you. But in Christ... <laughs> there's this by promise we're going to be with Jesus. Amazing. Okay, so he says, He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Did, did, do you see that? I mean, he's talking about Jesus, right? Jesus testifying to what he has seen and heard, but no one receives them. People reject Christ's testimony all the time, and, and that gets into our heart, right, that this is true. Because... His testimony is that there is no one righteous. His testimony is that all the law and prophets speak of him. His testimony is that he's perfectly doing the will of the Father, and you don't. His testimony is if you will look to him, you will live. And those who say, yeah, I'm receiving that, we go into the new birth. <laughs> Amazing. They agree, if, if you say that you agree, that God is true and all men are liars. Because only Jesus, no one else. And then he says, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. See, Jesus was sent by God and he utters the words of God. Have you been sent by God? No. Well, not unless you're John Belushi. And... Oh, man, I just dated myself. You guys don't even get it. <laughs> oh, no. I have a message from God. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. Jesus was the one sent by God, right? You can say, well, John the Baptist was sent by God. Not like Jesus was sent by God. When God does something, it's done. It's not might be done or hopefully it gets done or the Spirit's not given by, by degree, like there's a little bit of it. It's, it's Jesus is the answer. He, he has the Spirit and when he seals you with the Spirit, that's done. And when you have the Spirit, that's done. And so, so this idea that we have in the new birth is because we get it, right? We come in and we say, okay, I've looked at Jesus. I trust Jesus. But now I'm not really sure that he did it. Why aren't you sure? Well, I don't feel it. 
Why really aren't you sure? Because I'm not doing enough for Jesus. And why really aren't you sure? Because he's not doing anything for Jesus, so he must not. Do you see what's happening? You're trying to do stuff by degree. Is it a promise or isn't it? Has someone received the promise or haven't they? Because God doesn't do things by halves. That's what he's saying, right? And then he says, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. See, the whole issue is, do you trust this Jesus? Because everything is his. And if you trust him, you have life. He obtains it for you. And believing is obeying. Do you see that? If you believe it, you have eternal life. If you don't obey, because what did the son tell you to do? The word of Christ is that he alone saves the world. Anyone who will trust him and not themselves. With that, John ends the chapter. This is the end of the matter today. John, the gospel writer, puts this right here for a reason. New life? Born again? Yes. So it looks like this. This old life, people wondering why you aren't getting better and improving and growing because that's what their life is about. Making a mark, winning a competition, ending on the top. And the new life that we have says, it's all Christ. We don't import from the old life the same structure of achievement that the old life has. We don't pull the new life back into the old life and improve our flesh. We say this, I'm going down as a, this foot over here. I'm dying. My body barely works now. And in 20 years, I'm gone. Or 30 or 50. I don't care. Speak the number. Just don't say two. I want to live longer than that. But over here, over here, my life is a gift. I just trust Jesus. Oh, out of that gratitude will come great fruit. Maybe we do many things because the Holy Spirit's blowing us around and we're doing things for him. Don't think for a second it's sitting on the couch. But I'll tell you what it is. It's a way of thinking that says, I don't matter. He must increase. He must. And I must decrease. So when I see my humiliation or people leaving or people thinking ill of me or my plans not going as I thought, I still think like John the Baptist did. And I say, you know what? Nothing's given, but God gives it. And you know what he's given me? He's given me Jesus. He's given Jesus to you too. Trust him. This is what he said. Let's pray.